The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to Countdown to Endgame, the official Avengers Endgame hype podcast. Derek Peterson here, Jacob Padilla across the table from me. Are you hyped for this Marvel movie, even though you haven't seen a Marvel movie since like 2014? Yes, I I will definitely see the movie. (laughs) It just might take like five or six or seven years. I'm excited about, I enjoy the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm just not very good at keeping up to date with it. I'm very upset with you about this. So. More upset about than about what I tweeted at you this morning. That yeah, you because blocking me because that that was like you 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 troll me about the thunder and the thunder have kind of warranted it because they've been garbage to close the season. But this is like this is an event. <laughs> Three weeks from now, this is like a historical event. This is something that like we're gonna be able to tell our kids about. And you're not even you're half a decade behind on these movies. I'm so when I found this, I was so upset. When you you when did you tell me this? It was earlier in the week. Yeah, a couple it, a couple it, days ago. Yeah, it was. I was so upset. Press conference or before? It might have been around that time. So around Tuesday, yeah. it has stuck with me. We're recording this on a Friday morning. It has stuck with me that long, and I knew I wanted to rib you about it on the podcast this week. Yeah, well, I'm very so. bad at going to watch movies and making time. I can barely keep up with TV and. Um, with all the stuff I got going on, so yeah, well, I'm just I, very bad at time management in general. Yeah, yes, you are. Yes. I'm spending the next 22 days leading up to <laughs> this movie, watching every movie that they've put out so far. One a night starts with Iron Man tonight. Oh boy! No, it's not Iron Man. It starts with uh, Captain America, the first Captain America movie, yeah. which Greg Smith hates, hates Cap so much, so <laughs> much. Um, yeah. Well, I'd invite uh, myself over to come along with you but no yeah uh, um i got i got uh basketball tournament this you got basketball au is here i'm excited yeah we got basketball to write about too though because fred hoiberg is here there we go and that's that's, that's the main i'm really good at i'm getting was, better at transitions I was gonna say that was a professional <laughs> transition there that was awesome uh, that's the reason you're here today we're gonna talk about fred hoiberg he was introduced as nebraska's 28th head basketball coach on tuesday we've got a bunch of content up on hailvarsity.com about that so go read about it um let's just I, I, there's, there's not a, a ton of structure to this podcast. I figured we could get in and we could start talking about Fred and it would just kind of flow and we'll see where it carries us. Um, I want to get your kind of initial impressions of Fred from Tuesday. Um, you, you and I were both at the press conference. We both saw the video that was tweeted out uh, that yeah. afternoon, that morning, where <laughs> the it's... common joke was that Fred had a gun pointed to his head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but I was a little like, oh, yeah. what is this going to be like? Uh, I, but he was really good. Yeah, no, I felt the exact same way. I was like, oh, this, I mean, didn't seem like he had a super, uh, super comfortable in front of a microphone. Um, obviously, I mean, he coached 
college and at the pro level, so he's he's done it before. He's used to it. Yeah, he's yeah. used to it. But no, yeah, he came out. He uh, he looked pretty comfortable up there. He's pretty loose. Got a few jokes in here and there. He so I timed it. His intro was eight minutes and fifteen seconds long. His introductory message. And a lot of that he, was about his family. Yeah, he so literally just cool. talked for eight minutes straight. And it was some good stuff in there, too. So mm-hmm. um, he never really got too off track. He just kind of um, ran through his whole family tree and then why he was attracted to the Nebraska job, what he believes he can do here. Um, basically, he fit in every all, all the little relevant bits that he needed to get knocked out. He got that done in the first uh in his first introduction, it just happened to be eight minutes long. Yeah, uh, it it was interesting because Tim was obviously um, a jokester, and he he was very very comfortable in front of cameras and, and comfortable with the media. And um, I I think people were expecting the probably expecting the exact opposite from Fred um, coming from the NBA. They probably expected him to be a little bit more robotic, like he was in that that yeah. intro video. Um, but it, he wasn't. I mean the. Uh, he looked over at his dad and was like, alumnus or alumni, dad? Which one is it? <laughs> like that, that to me um, was maybe the most revealing. It, it's, he's just, he just seems very comfortable yeah. um, and, and very comfortable with who he is and where he's at. And um, it, it was clear, I said this on the radio, it was clear that he's got a plan yeah. uh, for where he wants to take this program. It's clear he has a vision and it, it felt like Scott Frost's intro press conference in a way that he had that command. And he also, I mean, he laid out like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to get there. This is what you will, you can expect to see from us. He had the comment, like, we're going to shoot a bunch of threes and there are going to be shots that we take. that you are going to be like, what the hell are you shooting? Yeah. Like, um, you wrote about this. It was either earlier in the week or over the weekend that that was the main criticism of the Tim Miles era was that you couldn't find a discernible identity. Yes. Um, yeah, that was kind of my initial, like, post-mortem column of the 10 miles era was you didn't you didn't really know what they were supposed to be and that translated to the recruiting trail that translated to um the play on the court you never really got anything consistent he wanted it to be um defense as his identity but they were never a lead in that area they had good stretches they were good in that area but they were never good enough to carry a team with how bad the offense was and that just never got him. And they were never able to either recruit or develop shooting. Like, look at a guy like Thomas Allen. He came in here, shot 48% senior in high school. Um, this year, 36%. And that's one of your best shooters. Um, like, so that is something that they never able, were able to figure out. And, uh, and Fred, is, in, yeah. Fred is the inverse of that. Yes. Fred is you, it, it's you can see an offensive identity and you know what they're, what they are and what they're going to try to be. It's shoot a bunch of threes. It's have really good offense. You looked at those numbers. What it, I mean, it's, it's like night and day offensively between Miles and Fred. Well, and that's the, the funny thing with three point shooting is his teams were never even elite offense, like percentage wise, in terms of the, them going in. Hoiberg's? Yeah, no. Uh, app, like, so yeah, I it was just through, attempts that they yeah, went through the roof. Exactly. They were top 30 um, in attempts for the years and then top 50, top 40 in the other year. Um, but they shot it well enough. And they were the right shots within the flow of the offense. Um, he mentioned he was a big analytics guy. Um, loves tra- uh, transition threes, um, catch and shoot threes out of pick and roll sets, all that kind of stuff. So even if they're not going in at a 42% rate or whatever, they're still good shots and they make enough of them. His worst year was still a few, uh, one and a half, two 2% better than Miles' best year. Well, and if, 
even if if they're not going in, even if you're if you're shooting them and the defense knows you're shooting them, they have to come out because yes. it's just like it goes against everything that you're taught defensively to just be like, oh, they're shooting a three. Okay, we don't have to cover them because they're not going to make it. Yeah. And that that goes along with establishing the tempo that you want to play mm-hmm. at. Occasionally, you will take a bad shot. Yep. But more often than not, you're going to get a good shot. You're going to force the defense to react, and you're going to get a better look out of that because they're reacting to what they think you might do. And there was just never, like, Miles' teams never really put consistent stress on a defense from an offensive standpoint. There was just way too much isolation, not enough shooting, not enough ball movement, not enough that was difficult to, to defend. They were an easy scout. And that's what we saw time and time again. Well, I'm glad you said isolation because I was looking at um, NBA has sortable team stats in, the, in their database. It's really hard to find that kind of um, play-by-play statistical breakdowns in, at the yeah. college level. But Fred was at the NBA from 2015 through the, the start of this season. He, he was there like a third of this 2018-19 NBA season. So I looked at the first three years, the full three seasons that he was a coach in the NBA. And the Bulls were... Um, 22nd, I believe, over those three years in isolation uh, possessions per game across the entire yeah. NBA. And that was the first two years they had Jimmy Butler, who's a really good ISO scorer. Well, he's a guy who likes he's ISO, a volume ISO He's a volume He's a volume ISO possession consumer. Like yes. He's not an efficient scorer, but he, he liked those possessions. But even then, they were 20th in Hoiberg's first season, then 18th in his second season. And then whenever Butler got traded... And they brought in Lowry Markkinen and Zach Levine and those guys. They dropped down to 26th in ISO possessions. His offense is very, um, and you can see this back at, at Iowa State. It's it's heavy on ball movement. They they run the weave um, pretty consistently, and he, they they like to swing it from side to side and try to open up driving lanes and open up driving kicks. And when they run the weave, the thing that I noticed and I wrote about this in my Love Hate column was that he 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 gives his guys the freedom to read and react to what's going on and to um you know let's let's say a guy overplays a dribble handoff the guy can in in turn back cut and go to the basket um they have the the weave with a lob on the backside out of it if the big guy sees it there's there's little tweaks in there that he does that (laughs) you can see you can see like okay this is this is an actual offensive system that is both concrete and discernible, but also flexible to where it can adjust to personnel. It can adjust to a way the defense is playing you, um, and that was the big. And that's the biggest difference between Hoiberg's offense and Miles's offense to me. Yeah, and uh, just looking at after Hoiberg kind of got his guys in and got to, I mean, he was top twenty in total assists his last three years. And these are raw numbers, so it's not per game, not pace-adjusted anything. But well, he led remember, the country in assists in 2013-14. They were tops in the Big 12 in assist-to-turnover yeah. ratio. Yeah. And uh, so on top of that, and then you mentioned uh, the flexibility. Um, he had. It wasn't like he had the same team every single year. He had different guys. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat similar, but there were different skill sets, different strengths each year and he built the teams he rebuilt the teams around what those guys were able to do best mm-hmm. it, it, and they were still playing his brand of ball every single year but it tweaked slightly um to maximize his best players so you had um a cu- couple of the guys that first year melvin Med- melvin edgem played right away as a freshman he had a junior college guard 
Um, you had Deontay Garrett, who was a versatile, like, triple-double threat pretty much every single night, that type of point guard. And the next year, Royce White was eligible. And then you switch from running it through Garrett as a uh, point guard to White as a stretch four and five. And not necessarily stretch in terms of shooting, but the ability to handle the ball More and play point, point forward. More point forward, yeah. yeah. So you, you switch it completely to build it around him. Then you got George Yang in there after that, who is similar to White as kind of a playmaking four, but he was more skilled. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to shoot a little bit better and find different ways to score. So every year he had different kind of guys, and well, he and, made it work. And then they brought they brought in Monte Morris, and he kind Love of switched it back to – everybody loves that guy. Denver <laughs> loves him. He's awesome. He kind of he kind of moved it back, and he didn't go totally away from yeah. Niang as kind of that point forward, but he, he let Monte Morris handle yep. a lot more because he was good at it. And I think that's the biggest thing that I think is going to be evident – right away is adaptability to what he's got and everybody that I talked to that was at Ohio State or Ohio State Iowa State and people that were at the NBA level um, they all said one of his biggest assets as a coach everybody talks about the offense and his offensive mind but one of his one of his biggest assets as a coach is his I I can't talk today his ability I can't ever talk so <laughs> you got that on me his ability to um, find and develop talent and his ability to fit players into what he wants to do well and that's I, I, one of the pieces that we put up this week was uh, or my, yeah it was my story on his recruiting and kind of the way he went about it and he it was kind of a slow build for him in terms of recruiting like each year he got more talent um early on he was kind of under the radar guys like melvin edgem was just like a low to mid three-star guy and he turned into a four-year starter for them and a really good player um, then kind of as he went along, he finally st- he got Niang as a four-star, his first four-star high recruit in his um, third class, second or third class. And then after that, the year after that, he got Monte Morris and uh, Matt Thomas, who were both four-stars. Um, so he kind of built up um, his recruiting as he went along. So he had guys like, so everybody talks about the transfers or whatever, and those were a huge part of his program. But he built the, uh, the core around high school guys that he developed to go with those transfer guys that came in and, and filled uh, immediate holes that they need to fill. Oh, you're done? Yeah. I thought yeah. you were going to continue talking. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like you were going to keep talking. Let's let's transition a little bit and talk about what is on the horizon, well, on the, the immediate horizon for Hoiberg. And uh, he said Tuesday that he was going to get out and he was going to start recruiting and going around the state to see some of Nebraska's yes. commits was going to be of the utmost importance to him, which, and as it should be. And, and that's really all he can do right now. It's a recruiting dead period while the right. final four is going on. So he can't go out to, on the trail to see new guys. It's just checking in with the guys that are already committed right now. Recruiting. Yeah. Cause these yeah. guys didn't recruiting. These yeah, guys didn't commit to him. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, Gervais green had the tweet decisions, decisions. Other people have talked to him. It seems like he's, um, he's very, he, he's more than open, I guess, yeah. to the idea of Fred Hoiberg. And um, I was told that would be the case. Like if Fred was, it was pretty much anybody else. I think he was done no matter what, but Fred was a guy that with what he's done, had the track record for Gervais that he would actually listen to him and, um, strongly consider Nebraska still on that. That's big because yeah. he's got some heavy hitters coming after him. If he does open things back up. Yeah. I thought he was the one guy if if you if you can only keep one, I yeah. thought he was the one guy that you absolutely yes. take regardless, and and him still being in kind of minimizes the impact of Thomas Allen leaving yes. in, in my eyes. Um, Micah Adams Woods reopened his 
recruitment, but he still has the Huskers. He, he would still consider them. Yeah. So in that, um, rarely do you see a guy open things up and go back to his school. Um, the the interesting kind of um, twist to this story is the fact that so I um, we'll get to Cole Roper in a second, but I talked to him and um, Armand Gates, the former assistant under Miles, who joined the program this last year. Mm-hmm. He was along for that visit. He's he's going along with these guys to see these visits to see yeah a yep. rope. Uh, so that uh, he, we haven't heard anything about him officially being part of the staff. But if you're taking him out recruiting, then that's, there's probably a good sign that he's strongly in consideration to fill that spot. Mm-hmm. And Gates was a guy that got that recruited Mike Adams Woods. He was his guy. So I, I don't know what the conversation, what the meeting was like that ultimately ended up with Adams Woods opening things back up. But you have to think if, if Gates does stick around, then Nebraska might have a better chance than most teams do when a player chooses to reopen his recruitment. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Gates was the the only member of the previous, I guess, administration yeah. or coaching staff that was at Hoiberg's introductory press conference. That's not a coincidence. Um, so I believe uh, um, Vince well, Fritz as well, a graduate assistant that joined the program this year. I and obviously forgot. Fred Hoiberg's niece. Yeah. They were hired by Tim. <laughs> There was somebody else there, too. I forgot who it was right now. But, um, oh, it was Matt Holt, the video coordinator. So, um, the, so there Gates were was the biggest there. guy. Yes. Gates was the biggest name. Yes. But. None, none, of the other heavy, none of the other heavy hitters were yeah. there. I just, can't just talk want, today. I just wanted to be accurate. Dear God. Now you know what it's like to be me every day. Uh, you talked to a cola rope. Yes. Talk to me about that talk. Um, yeah, he... Talk about that talk. <laughs> uh, look at you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Called uh, Cole called me up basically right after um, uh, Hoiberg left, and so Hoiberg, Matt Abdelmasi, and Armand Gates all along for the ride. So they're kind of showing up in force, and basically it was just kind of a get to know you type of meeting. And Hoiberg um, kind of laid out his plan for a Cole and how he fits into what Hoiberg does, and how he wants to develop him, and those kind of things. And um, he had studied film of a Cole going in and just kind of based on the feedback he was getting, it's like he had a pretty good grasp of a Cole's strengths and weaknesses and what needs to work on and what he can fix. Um, so that, that was pretty impressive. The fact that he came in so prepared, um, ready to like, Hey, I, I want you, you, you can do, uh, you can fit into what I'm trying to do here. And a Cole, um, loved everything he heard and he wants to, he wants to play professionally at, uh, at some point, and he, uh, Hoiberg's got a strong track record of putting guys in the pros, whether it's NBA, whether it's G League, whether it's overseas. He's got a lot of guys that went on to have really good professional careers. And uh, so that so Cole, he, he's all in. Um, he reaffirmed his commitment. He'll, uh, he will signed back in the early signing period, and he'll be uh, showing up on campus here when we get to the summer. Nice. One of the things that you have uh, mentioned a couple times is Hoiberg's track record, Hoiberg's reputation. Um, that he has with obviously recruits that are committed to Nebraska, but he also has it with other coaches. Um, coaches at the Final Four have been talking about him. Uh, people at the the NBA ranks have been talking about him. Teddy Greenstein from the uh, Chicago Tribune had a, a story a couple weeks ago uh, from Jim Boylan that was basically like, yeah, he's going to do really well. Hoiberg, I, I really want to – I wish I could get athletic directors um, – 
on the phone to give me 100% honest answers and say, were you considering him? Was he your top target? Was he one of your top targets? Because I feel like I didn't hear a ton of Team X, Team Y, Team Z is going after Fred Hoiberg. They have like honed in on Fred Hoiberg in in the same way that you heard it from Nebraska. And I, I wonder if that's because everybody just assumed he's waiting for an NBA job or everybody assumned that okay, this Nebraska thing is a done deal. We don't, we're not, we can't, we can't devote resources yeah. to that. Uh, or if he wasn't as coveted as maybe we thought he was, I'd be really curious to know that answer. But everything that I've heard, it sounds like he was, he, he is one of the most respected head coaches that was on the market. And we had Doc Sadler on the radio. Uh, Chris Schmidt had him on Hill Varsity Radio, and Doc said he was the best offensive mind, one of the best offensive minds in basketball. Period. Um, it's it's all been real glowing of yeah. Fred. And that's like going way back when we first heard the name. I, I didn't give any real consideration to it because like a lot of people, I think, have figured, oh, he's the type of guy that can take his pick of jobs and get any job he want. Why would he pick Nebraska? Well, um, we come to find out that, for one, why he chose Nebraska was the ties went even beyond the ties to Nebraska, the state, the university went even beyond what we knew about, which is obviously grandfather Jerry Bush, what coached here and um, born in Lincoln, all those type of stuff. Like other grandfather taught here. Yeah, that's both parents graduated about. from here. Yeah, so it, it went even like he. I think he listed off eleven different family members that have ties to the university or the state. Brother lives in Omaha. Yeah, yeah. so that was part of that eight eight minute. Yeah, uh, exactly. Intro that he had. Yeah, that was like the first half was literally just a family tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but so. On the one hand, I think that's part of why. But the other, I also think it happens in Nebraska. Um, they got fortunate. The timing is right. There aren't a lot of big-time jobs open right now, and especially ones that I think would appeal to Hoiberg and that, that would be a great fit because like, him at Arkansas just seems like it would be strange. Arkansas didn't make sense. Yeah, Alabama didn't Alabama. make sense. What's going on with UCLA? That, that's why can right. they not find a coach for that job? Well, apparently uh, um, Jamie Dixon's buyout is an issue right now. I mean, that would be a good hire for But them. why is Jamie Dixon your top target? That's Why are you – Well, was he's a, not their top target. They didn't get whoever their top targets are. There was a report out, and I don't remember who it was from, but there was a report out that they uh, – and it was a couple of days ago – that they expect to have a head coach to have found a head coach within a week. Yeah. Which does not make sense. Because why are they not going after Tony Bennett at Virginia? Yeah. Could they get him? I. They should. It's they UCLA. Should, they should try, but also, um, I think UCLA. It's got the history, obviously, but it's lost its luster with the complications. Oh, of stop the job. it! It's UCLA. Yeah, they're and, in California. Stop yeah. it. Uh, quick sidebar. So they fired Steve Alford, middle of the season. Yeah. They've had all this time for a coaching search. Haven't gotten their guy. Florida fired um, what's his face? I'm blanking on his name. The head football coach two years ago. Yeah. Do you know who I'm talking about? The yeah. guy who loves sharks. Yeah. Jim McElwain. There you go. There it is. <laughs> Just needed to bring up sharks. <laughs> Jim McElwain. <laughs> I really wish that that hadn't have been disproven. That was my favorite thing that ever happened in college football. Uh, you can Fl- choose to still read it. <laughs> Florida. Fi- I do. Florida fired Jim McElwain uh, mid-season. Had a head start on their coaching search. Didn't get the guy that they wanted. And they, they, I don't think settled is the right term because Dan Mullen's a really, really good yes. coach. But they wanted Scott Frost and didn't get him. 
Bill Moose now has made two major coaching changes, and everybody has said you got to fire this this guy. You know, here now in the season, do it now, get a head start. And he has waited until the end of the season. He's waited until everything has concluded, and then he's made his decision and he's acted real quickly. And he's gotten the maybe one of the best guys. Uh, it, in both sports, if not the best guy on the market in both sports, and he's done it really quickly. Uh, people need to freaking chill about Bill Moose. Yeah, and I, they need to chill. Yeah, and I think the way he did so. Yet again, in both situations, he kind of fell into the perfect candidate being available, and those guys truly um, valuing their ties to Nebraska. But at the same time, he also handled both situations on that side of things, perfectly. Mm-hmm. He made his intention, he let the guys know, reach out early on to give them something to think about um, when the time eventually came. He didn't pressure them. He gave them what they needed to hear, went back and forth. And that's something that Hoiberg talked about. Is like the, He mentioned the vision. That's one of the first things he said, the vision that Bill Moose laid out for him um, for what the program could be. He really resonated with that. And I think uh, it's kind of the same thing happened with Scott Frost. Is like, hey, this is what you can do here. And he gave them reasons to believe, hey, you could actually do it. Well, I've been one of the people that has said that if Frost wasn't born in Wood River and didn't play at Nebraska, Nebraska probably wouldn't have had a great chance at yeah. getting him. Um, so the the ties to the university definitely helped Nebraska. But I think the way Bill Moose handled both searches um, it should get more of the credit because yeah. – um, Frost is obviously a guy who values family. He values um, integrity. He he values kind of character qualities like that. And Fred Hoiberg seems to be the same kind of same kind of person. And for Moose to go into the Frost um, to handle that situation and let him continue coaching at UCF and let him coach the bowl game and be um, understanding in that hey you're having a hell of a season right now. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to mess it up. Do your thing. We'll talk whenever you're ready to talk. And he took the same approach with, with Fred Hoiberg. And that was the way Hoiberg talked about this Tuesday. He wanted to do that. He didn't want to talk numbers when they met yeah. in Chicago on March 4th. He didn't want to talk contract. He just wanted to have an exploratory kind of get-to-know-you session and feeling out process. And Moose had the same exact approach. And I think that resonated with both guys. And that is a I think that's a really, really um, positive way to handle coaching searches yeah. like that. And I think, obviously, in both situations it's worked out really really well for nebraska um the thing so family ties for fred were obviously really important the thing that i think sold him on this job above everything else is the facilities here and he mentioned that i mean like every single time he (laughs) talked like he talked about the facilities and pinnacle bank arena and the fan base yeah one of the three in like every answer he gave. And it's very clear he views this as not necessarily a a dormant giant because Nebraska will, probably will never be a quote-unquote giant in college basketball, but he views it as a program that should be better than it has been yeah. because of the resources that it has. And I don't know, I, I, to hear him talk about that and to hear – kind of the confirmation that, yeah, this, I mean, the stuff that Nebraska has at its disposal is some of the best in the country, if not the best, when you're talking about Pinnacle Bank Arena, when you're talking about Hendricks. Um, but that was encouraging, and, and that's all stuff that can be sold to recruits on the recruiting trail. And that's all the stuff that we were talking about um, when we were talking about potentially luring a new coach and the who can we get um, type of mantra is, 
hey, there is something here that you can sell. It's a good job. Th- yeah, like it's it's not a great job, no. but it's a good job because of what you have at your disposal. And yes, the the history has not been good, but that it isn't. Yes, you don't have the a ton of local talent, a giant um, talent base, but it's not a place that is impossible to win at. There are some other places out there, other jobs out there that's just, it's just really, unless you're, like Washington State, unless you're Tony Bennett, like, what, what do you suppose, who wins there? Nobody. Like, it's, it's hard to get talent there. It's hard to um, build a good program out there. There are places like that around the country um, that, it, there are some legitimate challenges. Like Nebraska, the the talent is an issue, but you can recruit to here once you because of those things. You can get kids here once you see. Uh, so long as you build up the program to something that they see as cool and as something like, hey, I can be a part of and has success there, then you can get kids here. And beyond that, they've got everything you need. Um, you and if you good, have the right fit as yeah, a coach, exactly. So that's. That's what I always viewed Nebraska as. Like, yeah, you need to get the coach here that will get it started. Get that first win. Get to that tournament. Build up something that the kids will see as relevant uh, for basketball. And uh, I believe Fred Hoiberg could be that guy based on what he did at Iowa State. Right. Uh, we talked about Gates a little bit. Let's talk about the other assistant that Fred Hoiberg has hired. There were reports that Charlie Henry was coming. He's the, the current uh, head coach for the Windy City Bulls, which is the Chicago Bulls G League affiliate team, but he accepted a position with Alabama, right? Yes. Yeah, Alabama. Natos. I wanted to say Arkansas, and I was like, no, it's Alabama. The, the other A. The other SEC A. As, yeah. Open yep. job. Um, but there is one guy who has been hired, and I think there's there's probably a, a better than 50% chance that Armand Gates retains his job based on um, what we've been hearing. Yeah. So that would leave one other position open. Um, they've got a $1 million salary pool. How, what, I guess, what are your thoughts on the way the assistant coaches have been shaken out? Yeah. Um, I, there's a great move by Horbert to go out and get Abdelmasi, Matt Abdelmasi, um, locked up right away. He's a guy that was with him through that whole Iowa State run. Um, he's a guy who leaned on heavily in terms of recruiting and getting guys interested in the program to where Hoiberg just had to go be the closer. He didn't have to do a ton of the um, the three-year-long recruiting process for high school guys or whatever. Abdel Masi was a guy that kind of took charge in that area, both recruit uh, transfers particularly, uh, and then obviously some high school recruits they had success there as well, like I said, but um, he had great success at St. John's in terms of getting guys into the program. They had some really good transfers um, that built up that program to what it was this year. They just didn't have a head coach that was competent enough to actually do anything with that talent. Um, Ooh, but, Nebraska yeah. football practiced in the stadium today. Focus. Ooh. Focus, Derek. There's some really good pictures in here. Derek. Nebraska football practiced in the stadium today. We're talking, okay. about, we're talking about basketball here, Derek. As you were. Focus. This is still a football school. They still had the the basketball the introductory press conference for the basketball coach inside the football stadium. So, still a football school. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> um, so Del Masi was a uh, a great addition to this uh, program, and I think they're just going to pick up right where they left off at uh, um, Iowa State in terms of the the partnership they had and 
Um, we'll see what kind of talent he can get right away. I mean, they've, they've got some, they've got four open spots right now, depending on what happens with Jervé Green, Isaiah Roby, and anybody else that might be leaving the program. So they're going to have to do some roster um, management here to field a team for next season. I'm just kidding about the football school thing. I I don't, I think that's stupid. <laughs> they can be well, if anything, this is a volleyball school. <laughs> there you go. That you nailed it right there. Um, I also, I, I really like Matt. He's one of the best recruiters in the country. Yeah. Which is which is big. If if Gates is the second guy, who what qualities do does Hoiberg need to look for in the third guy? Um, I think de- defense first, obviously. Um, uh, Gates and Abdelmasi are both kind of uh, more recruiters versus um, kind of upper level uh, experienced coaches. Um, so I think you'll probably look for a guy more experienced. Um, maybe he has some head coaching experience or um, high-level assistant experience. Um, and then, like I said, a guy that will be able to focus on the defense and allow Fred to do what he does best, just go teach him how to score 80 a game. Doc Sadler. I, I, think, uh, I think he's going to go ahead and stay in, down at <laughs> Southern Mississippi. Um <laughs> But, yeah, there yeah. were rumors that that might be a thing, but it, I don't. I don't think that's a thing. Yeah, I, I don't think you're turning down a head job to go back to a school that fired you to be an assistant. Yeah, yeah, no, probably not. I'm just glad that we're not talking about Tyron Lue anymore. <laughs> I I agree. That's I think this, not, could, this could not have turned out any better. Not a, not a fan of hiring people just because they're an alum of your university. Because I don't think Tyron Lue is a very good coach. Yeah, I. I won't. I will not disagree with that. I don't think there's a whole lot of evidence to what he can actually do as a coach. Um, I don't think necessarily anything they did in Cleveland after he took over was like groundbreaking stuff. No, it, it was basically just give LeBron the ball and get everybody the hell out of the way. Pretty much. Yeah. And then when Kyrie left, they went downhill. Yeah. Which is, I mean, yeah. That's so. that's Lou. Um, let's talk about Isaiah Roby, who. What do you average this year? 11.8 points a game, three personal fouls. Fouls were down a little bit. Two turnovers, 1.9 blocks, 1.9 assists, 6.9 rebounds. Shot 49.6% from two. Shot 33.3% from three. Uh, One thing that I found interesting when I was going through kind of um, shot charts for these guys, Roby's percentage of his overall attempts from three stayed basically exactly the same year over year so the volume increased but the volume increased across the board he wasn't taking more threes instead playing more he was turning down his open threes for driving into packed paints and uh contested shots so isaiah roby let's see i just got his his career numbers pulled up turnovers were at a career high uh blocks were down Year-over-year assists were a little bit up. Rebounds were only up by .6 a game, which is not great. Free throw percentage went down. Three-point percentage dropped significantly. Two-point percentage dropped significantly. Went from a 57% shooter in 2017 to a 45% shooter this year. I think a little bit of that is to be expected when you increase the volume the way he did. But at the same time, he wasn't taking good shots uh, for most of the season. So... The question for him becomes, can a a fourth year, a senior year with Fred Hoiberg help your 
draft status, help your draft stock, or if he gets any kind of grade, first or second round, he's not going to be a first round, but if he gets any kind of grade in the NBA draft and any team is like, yeah, we'll take you in the second round, should he go? Okay, so I'm going to have a lot more on Roby coming up here. Um, I talked with Sam Vecini this week, who is the uh, NBA draft writer for The Athletic. Um, I've followed Sam a long time. He's done a lot of good work. Um, really respect his opinion and um, the work he puts in in terms of reaching out to, to coaches and scouts and GMs and everything. So um, had a really good conversation with him. Um, and so I'll have more of that later. But he he's a so he's not as high personally on Roby um, as some other outlets are, some other people are. Um, but he also thinks, he, he sees why some people are. And he, he's of the opinion that He'll probably, no matter what, um, this he's got him in the 60 range, so tail end of the second round, depending on who stays, who comes back to school, and what international prospects end up cracking that 60. But So he thinks he'll probably either be a mid to late second round pick or he could turn down a spot because um, a lot of times, guys, in the late second round, you'd rather just have the freedom to go sign with a team. Mm-hmm. You can turn down. Um, so he, he sees that kind of playing out. Um, so just because of the potential, the physical tools, what he has shown, some NBA team will take a chance on him no matter what. Um, he, but on the other hand, he thinks if he does come back, he really could boost his stock under Hoiberg based on what he has done. He's not exactly like any of the guys that Hoiberg has had. He's got a little bit of uh, a few pieces of a few of the different guys, but he's a little different than all those guys. But he's a perfect fit for what Hoiberg likes to do especially with how he can kind of shape it around the player's skill sets. And he thinks, even with another year, even if he doesn't make a leap, uh, like a significant leap, he thinks those physical tools will still be there and some NBA team will be like, hey, uh, we see it there. We think we can get the most out of him and we can turn him into something and he's worth taking the risk. Because if he does pan out, he's a great fit for the NBA. Um, So he actually doesn't see a whole lot of risk minus the injury question. Um, to coming back, and he does see uh, a, a good-sized reward if he were to come back for his senior year under Hoiberg. Talking to Roby himself, he uh, he said it would pretty much said if he hears that he would get drafted, it would be hard to turn that down. He didn't say first round; he just said drafted. So I think heading into the season, and he's pretty confident in his ability. So I think heading into the process, he's kind of going in with the mindset that hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to show these teams um, what I can do, and I'm going to get drafted, and I'm going to go get my NBA uh, career started. But I think based on continuing to talk with Hoiberg and what feedback he gets, how he does in these workouts, um, that could ultimately lead to him coming back if he's not hearing what he wants to hear. I agree with Sam on the first part. I think that's the smart take that – an NBA team will take a chance on him. There are multiple NBA teams that will like him and that will be like, okay, yeah, we can do something with this guy this season, this cycle. And that if he came back, there's a lot to be gained. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with the the low risk part of that because, I mean, we hear all the time, oh, he's a senior. Oh, he's a senior. He's a senior. Like, Javon Carter stuck with the Grizzlies. He's like one of the few second-round guys who was a senior from West Virginia that stuck with the Grizzlies. But 
He had a really rough year. Did he stick with the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies are trash and just want to have a bunch of developmental players? Or did he stick with the Grizzlies because they actually view him as like part of their future? I, I just think, especially if he doesn't have a leap, if he comes back for a senior year and he still looks like the Isaiah Roby from this year, who looked like the Isaiah Roby from, I guess we can't say this year, the 2018 Isaiah Roby, who looked like the 2017 Isaiah Roby. I just don't know. I, I think it's going to turn too many NBA teams off that will say he is what he is at this point. Because, yes, you can fix shooting mechanics. Yes, you can you can help defensive IQ. But the things that are wrong with Roby's game currently are things that are just like you either have it or you don't. He, he's got a good shooting stroke. He has really good shooting mechanics. He's a really, really good defender. He's a positive defender on that, and then he can guard multiple positions. He doesn't project as a center in the NBA, but if he has to, to guard bigger fours, he can do it. Probably can't guard like a Rudy Gobert, but he can guard bigger fours. The thing that has held him back is the offensive awareness and the offensive IQ. You can teach him some go-to dribble moves or when he's out on the perimeter and, and a guy closes too hard and he gets around and, and tries to get a shot up in the paint, but he just doesn't he doesn't consistently showcase the offensive awareness that would lead me to think that he's going to be anything more than a role player ceiling in the NBA. I mean, am I wrong to think that? No, um, you're not at all. And that's kind of what I was thinking going into it. I thought there was more of a risk, um, but... Also, um, part of Sam's point was, yeah, this 2019 draft, not very good. 2020 draft looks even worse. The guys at the top aren't great. The, the entire like the class as a whole, the depth isn't uh, doesn't look super great right now. And Roby's a little different than some. We say that all the time, though. We, we do in draft classes. You just don't. You don't know. I know, but like everybody, like there are drafts that look really good, and it was like these are this is a great draft, yeah. and it's like. Okay, these guys weren't actually all that good. Like John Morant could have the best NBA career of anybody in this draft class. Um, Am so I wrong? Yes. No, but um. <laughs> Cam Reddish could have will have a better career than uh, what's his face RJ, RJ Barrett. Barrett. Yeah, <laughs> I do not like RJ Barrett. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm real low on him. I'm not a huge fan either. But um, so, but it is worth it is worth pointing out and. Um, and it's not like so the different Roby isn't so a guy like Isaac Copeland or James Palmer guys that transferred some of these guys do a prep school year Roby is like he I, I don't know what age he is now specifically but he's not a guy that's like old for his class like he did he, he's playing for um, if he comes back he'll play four straight years out of high school um, so it'll be 22 something like that it's not like he's going to be 23, 24 on opening day, which is that's when you really get into trouble with some of these seniors when they're older guys that are already nearing their um, their improvement peak. Um, so, I, yes, you're right about the seniors, but at the same time, I don't think that will help be held against him as much, especially with the, the raw ability that he has. And so, like, the shooting thing, you're right, his shot looks great. Um, talked to Sam about that as well, and he's of a mind that it's just reps. That's all he needs, like reps and continued strength and development. He thinks his lower body strength is a big part of kind of the shot inconsistency. Um, he doesn't always get his whole body into the shot. Um, 
Sometimes it's a lot, a lot of arms or whatever. So he thinks as he continues to develop, he he is a little worried about the frame, but he thinks as he continues to develop, all that stuff will come along. So yeah, the um, so the skill set, the consistency in that area, I think all that will come. The the question is um, th- that feel, and that's something that um, that I, I I don't really know the answer to. But also, there are thirty teams in the NBA, and a lot of these teams are pretty confident in their own abilities, even when they're not supposed to. So all the time you'll see teams draft guys like, oh, I can fix him. Um, like we can we can do better than what they did in college. And sometimes that is the case. Once you get to the NBA, um, the development is a lot better at the NBA than it is in college for certain guys in certain situations. So I, I, I that's kind of what my thought process was going into it was the, the risk is just as great as the reward. But kind of after talking to to Sam and here, and I think I think maybe it is a little bit better. Um, I, I think it would be a better job or better decision for him to return than I did previously. But I also, again, like I think, unless he doesn't hear what he wants to hear, I think he's probably gone. I think that's a mindset he's going into this process with. Yeah, I mean. That makes sense. Like you, you played for your coach. There's a new coach now. You would have there could be a, a learning curve or a, a, you know, a slow to gel process with a new coach that doesn't have anything to do with Fred or doesn't have anything to do with Isaiah. But it could hurt his season. And the other thing too is I think uh, part of the decision might be who else comes back. Is he going to have an entirely new team around him, or is he going to have a lot of his uh, the guys back that he knows? Obviously, um, some of the guys. <sighs> he came in with a lot of those guys are gone now but mm-hmm. um well ha- it just feels like a a natural transition year yeah. because uh james and glenn and isaac they're all leaving yeah. and thomas has gone too like geez they could have an enti- they will have an entirely new starting lineup entirely new starting five yeah yeah basically um yeah i think uh, he's gone I, I i think he's gone i think he'll leave i, I think that- so too but i think Again, we'll we'll see how the process plays out, but I I also think Hoiberg's played it pretty well in terms of the way he he's reached out to Roby a couple different times before mm-hmm. meeting with him individually, talking on the phone. He's told him, "Hey, I'm here for you either way. I can help you through this process with my NBA connections. Um, I can help you once you get out there. If you do choose to leave or you come back, I can really help you develop and turn you into the kind of player that they need at the next level. So I think Hoiberg's doing basically everything he can at this point to get Roby to come back or at least build up that relationship, and I think that'll go a long way. It'll just come down to what the feedback is. Good stuff. Yeah, that was fun. Done a lot of topics. Yeah. Are there any left? How do you feel about his contract? Uh, biggest contract uh, for yeah. a basketball coach in school history puts him third in the Big Ten salary wise, annual salary wise behind Thomas O and John Beeline, yep. not Chris Holtman, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> and uh, that buy money out of there. Eleventh nationally. Yeah. How do you feel about that? So, Real couple, short. yeah, a couple of thoughts. So one, it was actually so one, it was actually a little lower than I thought it might. Be to be able to have to get Hoiberg there. I thought um, I like, heard seven for thirty. Yeah, I thought I think that was what they wanted too. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think th- so. That's another uh, feather in Moose's hat that he was able to negotiate it down 
without scaring him away. He <laughs> he didn't just give him so everything good. he wanted. Yeah. Like he played that pretty darn well. Um, heck, um, Lars Anderson reported um, seven for twenty eight was the original was what he heard originally, and it ended up being seven for twenty five. Um, so on that on that side of things, good job by Moose. Good to get him in here. On the other side of it. It means that they are, that was the one question. I wasn't sure, were they really ready to commit financially to basketball? Were they willing to pay that much for a basketball coach? And obviously they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a great sign for the program going forward. Now that the the administration, everybody, hey, we know this program can be a winner. We're going to give it what it needs to get there. Yep. Moose has been pretty consistent in that it's, uh, if you want to play with the big boys, you got to pay like the big boys. So... On that note, that was a damn good line. <laughs> On that note, we will close it out. Jacob, thanks for joining the podcast this week. Yeah, that was fun. I would say you've got work to do, but you're done with your work for the day. Uh, no, I got to... Well, hail varsity work. Not, not really. I got I to uh, write my stuff for the weekend now because once 6 o'clock hits tonight, then I will pretty much be off the grid for the, next, for the rest of the weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Talking about Bill Shamer. Colorado Athletics <laughs> sent an email to season ticket holders about Nebraska tickets. These tickets are not intended for resale, and we reserve the right to cancel your order if we see tickets purchased during this presale on the secondary market. Oh, that's not about Nebraska. Caught selling to Husker fans. They don't explicit. No, that's not what it. That's just so that they don't. As Fake news, Bill. We are offering you access to an exclusive Nebraska presale. We are trusting that as a bus fan, you're going to help us unite to keep the red out of Folsom Field. Oh. Well, that's not... All right, whatever. That game's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I've heard I've heard horror stories about uh, Nebraska and Colorado and Boulder, and can't wait. BartScott.gif. Can't wait. All right. Jacob, (laughs) thanks for joining the podcast this week. Yep. All right, we will be back next week with another podcast. Well, as usual, plenty of stuff on hailvarsity.com for you to read and keep up to date on. So talk to you guys next week.